as an industry made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Ben Starr, the voice of Clive Rossfield in Final Fantasy 16. So join us as we explore his journey. Of course, Dev Diary is funded by an amazing group of people at patreon.com slash devdiarypodcast. They help grow the show, make it bigger, make it more successful, and they've got early access to this episode. Consider checking it out yourself, and if you can't do that, perhaps consider throwing the show a five-star review or equivalent on your podcast service of choice. Thanks a lot, and enjoy the show. So today I'm joined by Ben. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's it's a pleasure to have you on. We've been working on this for a few months, and obviously you've been a, a very busy man over the course of this year. No idea why, but um, uh, yeah. me not me neither. Um, but yeah, it's, it has been a long time in the making, but I'm glad we can do it now. I feel like when maybe we were going to do it earlier, I didn't. I said to you, I don't think I've got much to talk about, and it's been actually nice that now we're at a point where I think a lot more time has passed and maybe have a little bit more time to kind of reflect on what was going on at the time when it all came out and things move things change so it's it's good to kind of maybe decompress and talk about it a little and that's what we're shooting for with this show so it's gonna be fantastic to have you board and I really appreciated the fact that yeah despite the fact that you're obviously doing a lot of a lot of media things at the time uh Square Enix sanctioned ones other things of your own accord there was a lot on that you were willing to engage with me and keep and keep this going and, and eventually lock in a date. So really, really appreciative. I'm sure the, the listeners of the show are as well, and, and I'm really keen to chat. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So this is Dev Diary, a series we talk to developers, contributors to games from all around the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey has led to this current point in time. But Ben, and it's fairly well documented, you've uh, accepted a recent award here where a game that is very important to you was emblazoned across your, uh, across your attire. It's been documented in so many different ways over the journey. But before we even get to Final Fantasy VIII, where do your first experiences with video games begin? Do you recall what some of the first games were that you ever played? We were discussing some of mine prior to the show, but where does it begin for you? It begins with a Game Boy. That's where it begins. Um, I was given a Game Boy by my parents, and that, like the old school one, and I still have it. I mean, I, I part of me is like, I'll go up and show you, but it's an audio podcast. You can imagine a Game Boy. Yeah, people have um, seen them. I, yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're very rare, very rare. Very few people have seen one of these things. I um, So I had one of the old school ones, and uh, I had the games that my parents bought for me were Kirby's Pinball. Yep. Um, and my sister obviously had Tetris and Super Mario Brothers. So those were the kind of the first games I played, I owned. Um, but I used to go around to friends' house and they used to have um, a Sega Mega Drive. Um, and I used to be really jealous that they had a home console that they could play on their, their TV. Um, but it wasn't until I got a PlayStation, which my parents actually spent their lottery winnings on. Lottery winnings. Um, they won. They won like I don't know, like three hundred pounds on the lottery, and they knew that I really wanted a PlayStation, um, and so we went to the cinema twice in a day, 
We That's a big deal, Matilda. especially for a yeah, kid. We saw Matilda and the Phantom in one. Do you see the Phantom? We saw something like that. <laughs> like maybe that was irresponsible because maybe the Phantom was like a fifteen. But we um, we saw two films in a day, and my parents bought me for Christmas a PlayStation, and it it, it was just like that's cool um and my first games i got on the playstation were gran turismo and resident evil 2 um and resident evil 2 was the scariest thing i'd ever played yeah i was gonna say the phantom's nothing in comparison really oh yeah my parents were daredevils um i i did uh resident evil 2 was so scary i think i played maybe like an hour of it uh before i just turned the tv off and never played it again Uh, and then gran turismo obviously uh, not that and was no. this amazing thing that showed the fidelity of the PlayStation 1 um, the really cool music you know the fact that you were actually driving a car there was something amazing that I felt like I could show my family and they approved of the purchase uh, so yeah. those are my early early memories really yeah, I certainly remember encountering a lot of people with, with PS1s early in the day and people who I would consider, I guess, if we use kind of the language that's typical in the industry, the kind of the hardcore, but also those that are more in the, the ca- quote-unquote casual sort of space. And Gran Turismo was a was a constant through that period. And um, it didn't really matter who you were. You really appreciated what that game was, whether it was your type of game to actually consume and play or not. I don't think you can understate the influence of Gran Turismo and how popular it was around PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2 era. I mean, Gran Turismo 3A spec, I did a I did a chat about this a couple of months ago, is one of those games that I think kind of defines who I am, simply because of I used to play it with my dad. But they were events, you know. Yeah. We we And, you know, racing games aren't as popular now, but I every release with every... Uh, you know every console would have you know the signature racer that would come alongside it because it was i I don't know know much about dev but like it was an easy easy to understand thing and a great way of showing off the power of the console and so yeah gran turismo just was it it was it and i absolutely loved it like getting the licenses and and doing all the tracks and at the time the the selling point was the fidelity of the tracks you could actually drive the tracks that exist in real life it's so cool um, yeah, so I, I I really loved it, and that really was part of my journey, um, really early on. Of like, the, I would always get a Gran Turismo when it would come out. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, they they were as you say, they were always kind of a technical showpiece, and and as much as as you say, the the genre is perhaps oh, Wayne's not the right word, but certainly the ultra immense popularity has dipped a little bit. To your point, you know, whenever a new console comes out, whether it's, you know, Xbox Series X, there's a Forza not far away. PS5, Gran Turismo wasn't far away. Hell, even Nintendo Switch launched with Mario Kart 8 Deluxe or whatever. Like, there's always a racing game of some sort that is right there. They are super accessible, super easy to understand. And certainly when it comes to what you've seen on PlayStation and Xbox, they are those technical showpieces that really... It's very easy for people to grapple and understand what you're dealing with and why you can make that jump when you've got this beautiful... Um, recreation on the screen I'm always intrigued when it comes to you know game of the year chats and I will not get into game of the year chats too much this because I know they're really uh, they are toxic conversations to have yeah. with people but um, the the idea that a racer now could never really be game of the year and I say cast your mind back to 20 years ago there were game of the year contenders in, in the racing category because that really was the peak of gaming at that point um, and I think now it's it's interesting to observe how maybe racing is more of a a subsection of video gaming. It's for the niche. It's for the yep. hardcore. It's not as popular, which is just not what 
it was back in the day it was like racing games are the top and narrative games because maybe we hadn't figured out at that point how to combine both the storytelling aspects of it and the ability to visually present it in a cinematic way racing games were the most cinematic way yes. of, of showcasing um showcasing what these things the could medium. do and they're yeah, they were. They were. That, that's what they were, um, and they still are to some extent. But now it's you know here's a bombastic set piece in which we show, show someone destroying a building. That's what you want to see. You want to see the particle effect. You don't want to see how shiny this Ferrari is. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting to see how these these things come and go over time. And I shouldn't be too dismissive. I, I'd argue maybe that the uh, the audience for the those you know ultra high end racing sims are probably just as big as they've always been. It's just that the overall audience has expanded so greatly over the years, and the audience for different genres as well. So um, yeah, and I don't think I don't think it's a popularity thing when it comes to numbers. I think when it just comes to the ways in which they are celebrated and presented to us as a product. Um, yes, and I and I because I think that you know Gran Gran Turismo is still an event when it comes out forza is massive massive hugely important to to the xbox ecosystem and some argue the best xbox games they are amazing and, and kind of what that team what those teams you know at playground and, and turn 10 all of them have, and turn 10 have done is just make these these things so accessible but also really beautiful to look oh. at they're stunning they're stunning pieces so for you how did things go from especially once you got into the console space, Gran Turismo, Resident Evil 2, how did things kind of develop from there? Did you find yourself, and we kind of know where things ended up, but uh, did you find yourself at that particular point associating or attaching yourself to any particular genres, franchises? When did Final Fantasy come into the mix? Final Fantasy probably came in not long after getting a PlayStation, but, you know, relatively you're a kid so it probably yeah. is a long time I was oh it feels like old, forever so, yeah one year is then a tenth of my life at that point so god the years they really <laughs> dragged on and now they um, fly by and all of a sudden it's 2025 and it's mad yeah it's mad um uh so yeah i i i think like i had this little this little tray um where which which could slot all of my playstation one oh games yes in. Um, and they would all be upright, um, and I slowly filled it. I remember, like, over the years, I slowly, slowly filled it. I think I still have it. Um, and I remember getting really annoyed because Siphon Filter might have been, like, the fourth game I got, and in the UK, it came in a smaller box. The dimensions of it were ever so slightly smaller. Oh. I don't know why, but it was. Um, so I really remember having Siphon Filter in this kind of, like, strange little box, um, are you looking at yours now? Um, yeah, I'm just I'm like... just looking off the side. I can't see Siphon Filter. I don't have a physical copy of Siphon Filter, but I'm looking back at some of my PS1 games just in the in the background here. And I guess yeah, I kind of think of it. Most of them were kind of thicker, thicker jewel cases. So, but then suddenly you got the one that I guess is the more modern, stereotypical. Uh, modern's probably the wrong wrong word to use here, considering where CDs have gone in the last couple of decades. But I guess what we tend to think of as a CD case. So are you, are you talking about Siphon Filter being bigger, small, even smaller than that one? Smaller. So it was smaller. It was in this. It was a small. It looked like those single case ones, but it, the dimensions of it were smaller by like half an inch on all sides. It was oh. Really weird. In I the need UK to... anyway. And I well, I mean, this, for us here in Australia, we adopt a lot of the same things that that the UK had. So I'd imagine it was probably the same for us. I just. Need to get my hands on one, I, I think. Know, I don't know why they did it. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, I might go and get it. I think it could be quite rare. I don't know. Um, but it, they were really. It was a really cool 
it was a really cool looking case. It just awkwardly didn't fit. It would like wouldn't slide nicely, and it would kind yeah, of it would flop, flop over. So that was always at the front. And then I remember having Tomorrow Never Dies, the um, James the Bond. Bond game, because I really I really wanted Goldeneye, but obviously I only had a PlayStation One. I couldn't have it, so I thought I'll get Tomorrow Never Dies. Nothing like not Goldeneye. the same. <laughs> um, and then I think it was Metal Gear Solid and uh, Final Fantasy VIII. And so I think that that one-two punch is kind of life-changing, really. Um, and going from those games and those experiences to um, then playing games like that, that were telling stories like that, that were cinematic in a way that I still think they're yeah. kind of like the power to presentation ratio. Those games are mad of what they were achieving at the time. Um, I've been uh, writing something for Lost in Cult about Final Fantasy VIII and um, it's just going back and studying the visual language of Final Fantasy VIII is, is mind-boggling, thinking that this was on a PlayStation 1, and then just I still think now, Metal Gear Solid the art style is completely stunning the atmosphere, the score the, it, the voice acting yes, it's hammy as hell but it's really cool but it has an identity it's still such an identity, and it, it fits into um yeah, you're right. It has it has this amazing identity that I think they've con- continued up until you know MGS five. Um, that even MGS five didn't seem camp enough. I'm just saying it didn't <laughs> seem it was it almost like wasn't in that. Um, but uh, the yeah, I think what you know Jennifer Hale, David Hater, what they did on that game is is so important for acting and voice acting in video games because it was just a cut above. And so let's lean into the Final Fantasy eight side of things here obviously you've spoken so much about it and again uh and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about things like the jo- golden joysticks soon enough but um yeah obviously that was emblazoned upon your your shirt that particular occasion yeah what was it about final fantasy 8 that captured your young heart at that particular point um and i guess you know lots of people have these different sorts of experiences for me personally it's actually final fantasy 9 final fantasy 9 is my favorite game of all time um and i'm sure the arguments we might make about the two games are actually very very similar um so so what was it for you that really caught your heart about eight because that one i guess of the of the three that launched in that on that console the three you know new core entry games i guess if i was to say one was a bit more divisive eight's probably the one within the community that can kind of cause a little bit more consternation but what was it for you that made it a game that you adored eight is the awkward middle child in the golden age of final fantasy it's the one that's the easiest to dislike because it is the one that takes the biggest swings um, and it takes the biggest swings not because 7 didn't you know, take the big, the big leap from 6 to 7 it, deci- it basically sat there and went what was great about 7? How can we do not that? <laughs> um, and n- all of that was lost on me. Everything about everything that is divisive about Final Fantasy 8 was lost on me you didn't have that context, right? I had no context. I'd never played seven. I'd seen seven, but it looked completely impenetrable. I saw eight. It seemed completely impenetrable. But my dad bought it for me because it was on official PlayStation magazine. I think yep. it came. It was. I think it might have even been in the UK on the front cover. And I went, that looks cool. But they didn't really show much gameplay. All they did was just show the amazing FMV sequence. And I thought, that looks neat. And I had Final Fantasy VIII for maybe about a month and a half and played about five minutes of it and thought, this is way too hard. 
I want to be able to hack and slash my way through something. This isn't siphon filter. <laughs> um, you know, like, and his case size is twice the size of all the others. This makes no sense. Four discs. Um, I did not. It just. I had no um, way of understanding all the information that was being thrown at me. But my my parents were at a dinner party, and downstairs, and I thought I'm just going to start playing Final Fantasy VIII. And one day, I just got past. I just got past the mental the barrier. Opening. Yeah, well, I'm mean, physically. I got past what happens when you uh, defeat, um, as I called him, Ifrit, at the time in the in the fire cavern. So did I. <laughs> and, yeah, everyone. I think everyone did. Um, but uh, I officially say Ifrit, and I got past that barrier, and then suddenly. I kept playing and kept playing and kept playing and I got absorbed slowly into the story and I was seduced by this world that I'd never experienced before. I'd never experienced this way of stories being told. I was falling in love with these characters and I think I just absolutely adored the art style. Um, I still think the art style in Final Fantasy VIII is so beautifully unique. Um, it's kind of European influences, France. Yes. It's so cool um and I, I i i just yeah as a kid it just it just took me on this journey that i'd never experienced and then you know we talk about time being relative so when you're playing a video game for 108 hours as a kid relatively 108 hours is just a huge amount of time and i had never ever played or experienced any media for longer than that I felt like I'd spent time with these characters. I felt like this world is something that was truly mine. And I went from never having experienced anything like that in a film, a book, um, to having experienced that now. And that awakening changed my life. And so when people ask why it's my favorite, it's not because I was objectively sitting there and going, what are the ins and outs of the battle system that I yeah. appreciate? I am forever thankful that this game it could have happened with seven. It could have happened with nine, but it happened with eight. And so, when I when I judge on what is my favourite, I'm not saying what do I objectively think is a better game. I'm saying what is the game that has had the most impact, probably of anything I've ever experienced, um, because that was the thing that made me truly understand the power of what video games can do. And that was the first time that I truly, truly, truly loved a video game. Um, and I'm thankful because then I did get to play nine, and I did get play just get, did, did get to play seven, and all of the other ones afterwards. And Final Fantasy then became the game that I would always buy day one, no matter what. Um, and when you say nine is your favorite, I would probably agree with. I totally understand why. I probably think nine is the perfect, uh, is the culmination of the Sakaguchi vision of what Final yeah. Fantasy is. And it's beautiful, and it's magical, and enchanting, and I have um, such rich memories of playing that game. And all of them, each one, each game, whether it be four or fourteen. I mean, I haven't played much of fourteen. I've played, I've played about a hundred hours of fourteen. Um, but, uh, and that's still barely around. scratching the surface with fourteen, though. No, well, that's a, that's just a Realm Reborn. That's like old school a Realm Reborn. When people are like, "Have you played Final Fantasy fourteen? Like, I played it when it first came out. Or 2.0, and I got to the end, and then I just never went back to Heavenswood. Um, uh, one day, so one, I, I have to, I have to. I've told, I've told the OCP I would. Um, so, th 
yes, it, it it's each game is so beautifully unique, and I have just amazing memories of playing Final Fantasy Thirteen at like four a.m. with a extraordinarily strong coffee mixed with chocolate, hot chocolate mix, infusing um, it with yeah. anything possible to keep you keep you going. Yeah, because I wanted to play these games. I I I'd taken time off work. I'd taken time off school to play these games, and I and I love them. I really, really do. And I think Final Fantasy Thirteen is probably has my favourite soundtrack of any of the Final Fantasy games. It's sensational. It is, and there are many other things that I think are brilliant about that game. Um, and so yeah, I love Eight. It will always be my favourite because it. Um, literally altered my my brain chemistry of what art can be um, yeah and yeah that and, isn't an understatement. and i mean what you've described there whilst talking about a totally different game is exactly how nine hit me um now i think you know you're right in what you're saying i think about what that game kind of encapsulates you know of the, of the franchise up to that point and there's all these other really significant aspects as well and and we can kind of wade into the mechanical aspects and there's all those sorts of things if we if we really want to we're not going into that sort of depth in-depth analysis here but for me nine hit at a particular point in my life and i really identified strongly with with vivi i mean i was a what age would i have been at that point um it was 2000 so you know 11 12 so i'm about at that point where you know teenager identity all those sort of things were a huge deal and to see Vivi going through all of those things at that point, I connected so deeply with that character. Um, and I'll still watch the the Black Waltz three sequence on the on the airship as they're trying to escape. And to this day, still, despite everything, and you know, kind of moved out of that phase of my life, but I'll start to choke up at that point because it just it just hits a spot and it and it triggers a memory even today. It's 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 an unreal sequence and. Again, I think it's that beautiful thing about the characters that have been created in the Final Fantasy universe over all these years that they're separate to all these conversations that are more... Uh, I don't think we can ever really be objective when it comes to games. When we want to dive into the more mechanical and you know logic-based arguments, there's a, there's a totally separate component that will impact us all differently. Here we go, Paul. Here's a fun conversation to get into. Um, We're doing you it. Talk <laughs> about, you, you talk about, like logic and mechanics and maybe trying to kind of understand our relationship with objectivity and i find it so redundant um you're right you cannot i remember uh, after the golden joysticks and i, and I wore that t-shirt and i saw a tweet someone sent it to me uh, of a man i think it might have been like a multi multi tweet oh, a giant thread it was it was and no one i think don't think anyone had read it i think it just my friend had kind of passed upon it and it was basically i wish i could convince ben star as to why final fantasy 8 is not a good game and i think that person fundamentally misunderstands why i love that game in fact that person fundamentally misunderstands why i would love any game because i'm not I can understand why a game might objectively be a particular number, which is bizarre that we want to put a number on art anyway. Yeah. When we are rating something, we are rating our relationship, the time that we spent with that game and how much we value that time. Because time is so limited. And if I feel like that game was wasting my time, that my relationship with that game was... Diminishes. Yeah, exactly. And I wasn't getting anything out of that game. Like I, There are some games which I hold in extraordinarily high regard. Um that 
I have not resonated with me more is because I've played more games. And um, it's very difficult for me to say that a modern game is the best game that I've ever played because the endorphin hit, that strange sense of discovery, is not there anymore because I played it. You know, I played a, a, a massive open world game with all of these mechanics. I yes. love it. My lizard brain goes mad for it. <laughs> but is it the best game I've ever played? No. The, I will tell you that my favorite games are the games that I played um, when I was 13 years old, 10 years old, because I was discovering them. That doesn't mean that the games that we make now aren't going to be someone's favorite game. It was why I always reminded myself with Final Fantasy 16 that this is always going to be one person's favorite game at least because it's going to be the first time that they experience that endorphin rush, that beautiful... Um, whatever it is that I felt with Final Fantasy VIII, someone is going to feel that. Um, and it's not because the game is the most mechanically sound game of all time. It, it, people will have issues with X, Y, and Z with any video game. You can pick it apart, but you're talking about your relationship with it. And I think that yep. is so beautiful and profound. And it really annoys me. It really annoys me when people kind of come in and try and think that they can bamboozle you with facts. And it's like, you know, we're not talking about facts, right? We're talking about how much I loved this game. And that's why it's my favorite. And, you know, love can be, I mean, forgetting video games, love can be a totally irrational thing. So, um, and yeah. it's it's totally divorced from all of those those aspects and so it's what makes these conversations that we get to have and you know you as a final fantasy 8 lover and myself nine makes them all so fantastic because in the day we found something that we completely love and it doesn't matter that like the, the the subject matter is different at the end of the day yeah yeah and i'm not i'm also like i'm not saying that other things aren't you can't love other things you know it's you know, <laughs> um it's crazy I, I, this I, internet dialogue right <laughs> well, well because i think there is um there is a disconnect with um, how we choose to rate things. I think the rating system is is so um, important. It's intrinsic to how we understand and validate our own experiences. Um, but also it's incredibly harmful in thinking that 1.2 points, 3 points here have any value on how good a thing is. If something... I think Metacritic is just the most bizarre thing to have emerged out of video games in the past 10 years it's so strange um because it is venerated like it's some unknowable godlike being that will come down and tell you whether the thing that you love is lovable or not and i think we are constantly trying to understand our own relationship with this industry that we look to the nebulous thing that is this strange score that this got a 92 and therefore is better than something that got a 91 is just the weirdest thing yeah because um you know what there's so many measurables involved you will look at look at alan wake 2 i'm playing it right now some people are hailing this is not just one of the greatest games of the year but one of the greatest games of all time i think it has like an 87 yeah it has an 87 on metacritic no one's talking about that but it it because it isn't going to be for everyone it's an astonishing vision it's a it's a piece of art um, that has an 87 on Metacritic, but for some games it's really important that it hasn't rated high enough or it should rate higher than this. Like, doesn't matter. Do you like the game? Great. Then go on with your um, day and love the game. Yeah, and I know I'm. I am. What I'm saying is is not revolutionary, and I'm not kind of like coming down and saying these are these are these are new thoughts. Um, but having been kind of maybe entrenched in it a little bit over the past six or seven months. Um, 
I found the discourse this year to be particularly interesting because we would like to hail 2023 as the greatest year in video game history. And so these scores have become more important to people to prove that their argument that it is objectively the best year in video game history, which is so silly because the people who are rating these games are different from the people who are rating the games 10 years ago. How we rate games, how we understand games, how we fundamentally understand this industry is shifting at all points. Time and place is a huge component to the whole thing. And, and you're right, and I, you know, I say this as someone who you know, is, is an editor of a Metacritic accredited website. Um, it's, it's a really, it's a weird beast. Um, I don't love that, I mean, for, for a long time, we, we kind of fought against, as an outlet, outlet, we fought against scores, but we're kind of nudged into it by, you know, various PR arms and those sorts of things that was going to unlock opportunity. And we couldn't, eventually a point came where we couldn't ignore that, but it became one of these ugly things. Everything you've kind of described so far, that's this ugly side that just isn't pleasant to work with. Um, it attracts the wrong sorts of conversation and, and takes us away from, again, the the love of video games. Yeah, it's just what they are. I mean, they it, they are they are they are a necessity when it comes to a, a particular point in the industry, but they've become such a sense of they've become such a sore spot and such a thing that people can get really toxic and angry about a Metacritic score. Um, they don't read the reviews. I mean, no one's ever read the reviews. They, they scroll the straight to the bottom. They, they scroll to the score. Again, why Why is that strange? And the idea of what a 10 is has always been so intriguing to me in discourse. Like it's got to be a perfect game. No, it has to be a masterpiece. What does it mean? What does it stand for? What does five stars mean? Is it, you know, is this a five-star game? Is this a 10 out of 10? Is this a 9 out of 10 that I love like a 10 out of 10? Is this a, is this a 7 out of 10 that I love like a 10 out of 10? What does that mean to you? It's <laughs> describing it. It's so the, ambiguous. The yeah, the, the it's a 7 out of 10 that I love like a 10 out of 10 is so strange. It's so strange <laughs> because we're talking about, you're talking about something that you understand is not necessarily mechanically, um, you know, it might be quite buggy. It, you know, it might not be the quote unquote best by someone else's standards, but you are still having an amazing time with it. And in that argument, you have just shown why review scores are pointless where review scores are entirely pointless and all that matters yeah. is your time with that game. I just think maybe more games, someone will argue, I'll be listening to it now, incensed by my opinion, saying, but how will I know what to buy? And it's like, you, you probably already knew what you were going to buy. Um, you you're looking for the validation. You're looking for the validation. You're looking that your $70 is worth it. Um, and that can be helpful. Um, I just think that the perverted idea of what a score is has, has shifted and mutated into something a little bit more sinister yeah. um uh because i tell you i love a load of sevens a load of i love i love a load of objective sevens and i love a seven <laughs> exactly like it and i don't love it like a 10 out of 10 i love it like a seven it is it it doesn't doesn't i don't have to it doesn't have to be better in my mind it's just the time that i spent with that game is worth it and i loved it no that's it's it's a really fascinating conversation one that we could certainly go for hours on i'm sure and um Sorry. No, 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 and no, no. Please, uh, I've, it's fascinating to get to speak to someone who again has a shared love of this this industry of of a franchise franchise in particular where this started from, and um, it's it's a really fantastic perspective you bring in. I'm I'm glad that we got to discuss it. 
we're going to come back to all things video games shortly. So how did it... Uh, because video it wasn't a direct path from the consumption of video games into roles such as Final Fantasy 16 more recently. There were steps on the road beforehand. I'll note that uh, the career path saw you studying history for a period there before... Yes. Uh, before the two-year postgrad um, at the at the London, London Academy as well, so I guess was was history always on the like was that kind of the the initial love? How did we? I guess before we get to games, how did we get to games? Um, so there it wasn't like slash performing ben arts, was, I should say. Yeah, well, it wasn't like Ben was looking to get to games. Ben was always going to be in performing arts. Talking about myself in the third person now, that's right. Um, uh, I always wanted to get into performing arts. In fact, that was what I was always going to do. I was always going to be an actor. Um, and I, I went to a very academic school. Um, I was very academic at school, but I was also very sporty. I was that annoying kid that kind of did everything. I was head boy at my school. I, I was very extracurricular and just kind of ticked all the boxes. There you go. Um, and But I always wanted to be an actor. But if you go to an academic school, they will always instill this. And it was a great school. It's a fantastic, and it still is a fantastic school. And it was very, very good at fostering my love of other things and and allowing those things to to um, germinate. Um, however, the pathway to becoming an actor isn't laid down. They don't understand that. They understand academically that you go to a university, and then you can do that in an extracurricular capacity. You don't study yep. that. And they um, guided me in a direction. Most people did as a kid. Oh, you want to be an actor? Well, get your degree first, and then you have something to fall back on. Which is, as a kid, you don't realize what's actually being done to you, which is told that you're going to fail. Um, Do you want to be an actor? Well, here's a thing to protect you from the inevitable failure of your career. And it's like, here you go. Go and do this. Go and do this. Because just in case, just in case it fails, here you go. Um, And me as an arrogant kid I was like sure I'll get my history degree I won't need it um, and I uh, yeah I, I went and did history and I did history at Durham University because my dad a lot of things are kind of laid down by my dad he yep. loved history and he just he made history so alive as kids we would always go to castles and we'd go to like old like historical archaeological sites and we'd go on holiday to Greece every single year and we would go and see the Parthenon and wherever we would go it would just be history, history, history the world before the stories that this world has has the stories that have happened in this world that we can explore there were just so many amazing things available to us through history and I think because of my love of stories history was an, an inevitable conclusion and um, also the ability to look at the world and recontextualize it and try and understand it in a modern way was really interesting to me. Um, so yeah, his, history was it. And I went and loved my time. But at university, I just did theater in an extracurricular way. I got the university to give us thousands of pounds to take our theater group to America and tour like American universities. So I'd spent half the time doing history, half the time doing plays. Um, and um, knowing full well that I would then go to drama school and I kind of auditioned for drama school thinking I'll get in which is a stupid thing to think <laughs> but it's very yeah, hard maybe you kind of, but you have to have I think you have to have that confidence because they're not wrong failure is is really is always there it's always just at the back of your not even the back of your mind it's right in front of you 
um, you know, you are always kind of one bad day away from giving up. Um, but I just thought this is what I want to do. I, I, I can't do anything else. So I went to drama school, and when I was auditioning for drama school, I, I was so irresponsible. I would um, take the night coach, because Durham is in the north of England, and I yep. was auditioning for drama schools in London. I would take a coach at, like, midnight that would drive you overnight down to London, would get you into Victoria at 6 a.m. I'd then have my audition at, like, 10 a.m., so I'd sleep for, like, three hours at Victoria Ooh. Coach Station before doing it. I would turn up to these auditions completely knackered, and I, I, and then I just try and soldier on. I would, yeah, and you just do it, and then you go back the next evening because I didn't want to miss any of university. I just didn't, I couldn't. So um, I I look back at that thinking that was really ir irresponsible. It's amazing that you actually got into any of the drama schools. Um, but I was fortunate to get get into Lambda uh, two years um, and then spat out into the world and, and auditioning and being on being an actor and then it was film and TV for like 10 years um, I thought it was going to be theatre but there was a bit of theatre in there but it was basically film and TV and I plotted a lot I, and, I, and I was able to make a career out of it um, uh, but uh, it was Final Fantasy that kind of has has taken my career in a direction that I never imagined possible but it always before. quietly hoped for nope. or just never really on the radar Never, I never thought it was something that I could get into because I'd, I'd want to. That would be a lovely thing to get into. But um, it's in the UK anyway. I think there is a culture of video games are fun because you don't have to commit to them. That you can do your, you can do your job in whatever TV show you're doing. You can nip in for a couple of hours and you can do some voices. Um, and that is maybe an oversimplification but kind of the joy of, of, of video game acting and certainly voice acting in the UK is um, there are very few specialist voice actors Yeah, it's more you're an actor and then there's an opportunity to come into Side UK or Liquid Violet and uh, do four hours eight hours and then you leave and that's it job done because, because it's not a sustainable career really um, because it's so inconsistent and it's so uh, piecemeal um, but there are my I got this which you which was so much work and actually it stopped being a thing that I could go in and do four hours to actually I'm in every day for months and then I'm going to have a bit of a break and then I'm going to be every day for months again and it stopped being a thing that is just a little bit of my life to it being my entire life and by the way I can't talk about it um so it was it it has shifted and it has opened so many doors and allowed me to 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 meet people who are my heroes because video games and video game culture is my culture i listen to the podcasts i watch all the analysis videos i play all the games these are people who i venerate um, and now you get to be amongst it yourself yeah yeah it's, it's pretty mad it's yeah it's it's a really crazy thing i'm going to cycle back to one point that you made that just really reverberated with me a little bit as and we were talking you know earlier on that that i'm a, sorry listeners who are over probably over the number of times i do this but i'm a teacher professionally and so um when you were talking about the the way that kind of the systems around you know just in case you know in case you fail that sort of thing well i, I yeah. work with i work with students who are 17 18 they're in their final their final year or two typically that's kind of my i mean i have some other students who are a little bit younger than that as well but that's my main area and so I work pretty closely with our careers teams as you know students are plotting out okay what do I want to do 
post-school. And you mentioning that has just triggered a whole range of memories in my in my head here of conversations I've overheard or or whatever whatever the case may be. And I I think I'm going to uh I'm going to be starting to listen out for a little bit more of that in the in the near future. And I think that's going to you know just set off something it's, in my mind and question a few things more. It's, it's an insidious creep that you don't realise because you think you're being helpful and in fact you're being because you're saying and I'm saying not that you're being helpful. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't something that I was aware of until much later down the line, but it was a rhetoric that was just instilled in me that um, you you won't succeed. It's very... Un- and they think they're being helpful because they're saying, just prepare, just prepare yourself that your life might be disappointing. And I find myself doing it. You know, it's it's a joke. What would you tell a kid to get into the industry? Don't. You know, that <laughs> is the, the, it's the quick, funny thing. It's like, ha, 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 I'm a successful actor. You won't be because I, I that's only possible that, you know, very few of us can do it. And it's, it's a remarkable achievement that I've done it. And a lot of actors who are quite happy and, and working and establish themselves like to not encourage kids to get into the performing arts because of because of the failure because of the sadness because they i think actors fundamentally understand the i'm sitting here in front of you now celebrating a body of work that i'm incredibly proud of but um that is the most interesting part of my life the rest of it is sadness depression it's um failure it's the missed opportunities it's the um what if stuff and final fantasy could have been another what if it could have been another thing that never happened for me but it did and it changes uh, the trajectory of every, everything at that point, really. But yes, and 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 the story is stick with it, perseverance, uh, make yourself available. You know, do the work, and it will come. It will come good. It might not come good, and I think it's people in a in a pastoral environment wanting to protect you from that failure, wanting you because the academic system does not understand freelance work because it isn't designed to understand freelance work yeah because it tells you do this do this thing then you will get a degree and then you will get a job and there you go and it's Um, rarely that simple it's never that simple (laughs) and also it it just life isn't that simple we know that but you have to you have to offer an offer an avenue for kids and the school doesn't understand being an actor so they say go and do history because that we understand we understand the value of a degree um and so that is them trying to be as supportive in the and they are, and they were and they are. Um, it is always intriguing. I find that schools often, when they ask people to come back, they often ask people to come back who have careers that aren't doctor, nurse, whatever. They love to invite the people who are in inverted commas exceptional. And I mean exceptional, not that they are yeah. better than everyone else. They're the exception. They are, an except- they are the exception because they like to talk about those moments of divergence from the given path that they set out for you. Um, and yet, I think it's because maybe they don't have, there isn't that facility available, certainly within the education system in the UK to, to... sorry, we're getting really gazed. No, 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 please. This is, this is really fascinating and triggering a lot of, yeah. you know, a lot of thoughts in my mind. Yeah, I just, I don't think it, it, is, it is equipped to to prepare kids certainly in their late teenage years who don't know what they want to do um because i think for years i felt like i was told that um what you do with what we have over here we have gcses and we have a levels um gcse is the most important thing you'll ever do until a levels and then a levels are the most important thing that you'll ever do 
I could lie to you right now about my A-levels and no one would care. I've never had to show anyone my A-levels. I've never had to show anyone my degree. Um, yeah. And that, is, and that is because my career trajectory has just been so not about that. And I, I know that there are in a competitive environment, having a degree is, is super important. And certainly if you're going to do open heart surgery. Um, and there's, yeah, there's certainly some places where these sorts of things are absolutely warranted. <laughs> Absolutely, but for me there isn't, and so it's it's figuring out how that those two kind of like um, square up. I think I loved university. I made my best friends there. It was the most amazing time in my life, and I'm forever thankful for it. But it was it was the um, environment and the opportunities that that habitat allowed me to to um, enjoy that changed my life insofar uh, as as opposed to like the degree that I got about whatever ancient history that I was studying. No, thank you so much for kind of uh, engaging that that part of the conversation there. That's uh, a really nice academic component that we've been able to wade into there that is yeah, not yeah. not something that I necessarily get to do too much on the show, but absolutely scratches an itch for me. So for, um, thanks for bringing, in a, again, an amazing perspective to that one. So we, we touched on it. You uh, did the history course. You've, you've done the two years of uh, post-grad acting there. And then, as you said, there was you know acting opportunities across television across film across theater um you know people you know be listening today might be familiar with some of your roles in you know things like um dickensian jamestown you there's survivor there on the theater side there's there's yellowface there's there's a whole range of different roles that you've been a part of what was that like for you at first as you were entering this space um you know, especially you know, given everything we've just kind of discussed there too about the the road to getting to that point, what was it like for you as you as you enter that space, finding finding jobs? It is such a tricky, difficult scene at times. Um, how did everyone, you how did you adjust? Everyone wants to be a generational talent. Every actor emerges from drama school thinking that they're going to be the next big thing, um, and um, that is that is a that is a tough thing to accept when you're not. Um, and I think I left drama school and I was going out with someone at the time and she was flying. She was absolutely flying and I was not. And it was really interesting to to process because yep. when you leave drama school, you are directly comparing yourself to the 15, 16 people that you graduated alongside because you're looking at them and saying, why are they doing better and why am I not doing well? I, am, I, am I not good enough for that? and it's it's just you holding on you are holding on to try and find some cha- some some not chaos um some stability in the chaos yes um because you get spat when you're at drama school i was doing 12 hour days drama school you're doing nine 12 hour days for two years and then they go by the way here's all the free time in the world no job and no money go and make some money and you're thinking, well, no, I want to get some work. And you know, I was getting amazing it, and I was getting amazing auditions. But it's such a huge amount of time and work and mental energy. That you're and lack of sleep, with. as we were talking about before. Yeah, a, a huge lack of sleep, but also a lack of um, experience. And experience is the most important thing because you're going to have to make all these mistakes. Obviously, places like school don't want you to make those mistakes. They yeah. want to go, there you go. But you have to. Um, because otherwise you will not understand it um, and a lot of actors go through it I mean a lot of my colleagues spat out of drama school 
absolutely kill it for three years. Oh my god, this this train's never going to end. Two the reality check. Work. They don't they don't know what to do with them. Everyone has to come down to earth at some point, um, and it doesn't matter whether it's immediately or if it's fifteen years afterwards. It's really really difficult. And even the most successful actors that you see are going to have moments which which are just up and down. Um, so it was a really it was a sobering experience, and it wasn't until. I was I was very lucky. I did lots of jobs outside, which weren't acting jobs, but I found a lot of pleasure in and reward in. Um, and it wasn't until three years out of drama school that I actually got the job that changed the way I was able to live my life financially. And that was a show called Dickensian, and it it was a regular on the show, and it meant that I had I was earning more money than people would make in a year. You know, I went wow, yeah. look at all of this, and then that led to another show called Jamestown which lasted for three years and um, that gave me a level of financial security that I'd never had in my life up to that point and it meant that I didn't have to do any more work I didn't have to do other jobs outside of it I could just be an actor and I said to myself that's what I want to do I want to make sure that I'm in a financially stable position for the rest of my life and so um, that fear never goes away and ups and downs happen but um it's just um it's it's hard it's hard it's a really hard yeah. profession and then you know I, I did those jobs they were great and then final fantasy happens and it's a whole new ball of wax um and so how do we get to final fantasy how does how does final fantasy come on your radar i'm sure the moment you recognized it was a possibility you've you've jumped all over it with with everything that we've discussed up to this point but but how does it actually enter your orbit it enters my orbit as a random audition. I didn't know what it was, one audition. Um, it's relatively well documented. I auditioned for someone else. Um, yes. In that 15 minutes, they asked me to audition for this other character. I got it. I was doing a show called Midsummer Murders at the time. Yep. Um, my wife's a big fan. On... <laughs> <laughs> I got a call on set saying, congratulations, you've got the role in a video game. Um, and they still hadn't told me what it was. Um, was given a code name which i can't tell you what the code name no is. no that's fine totally respect but that it was it was a code named game um and uh yeah i then went into work to audition for my younger self so the bit you see in the program yep. of the game um it to see if i could do it and they gave me more context and then i found out that it was final fantasy so the it wasn't like i saw this and went for it i i just randomly stumbled onto it and the, ster- the serendipity in the it's so strange that this happened um, but I spent four years. I spent four years preparing myself for the release of this video game. I thought about it. I thought about how it might change my life, how it might not change my life. Naturally, prepare myself for disappointment. Best and yeah, best and worst possible outcomes. Absolutely. Like I'd love it to be. I'd love it to be. I'd love it to be something. Um, but whatever that something is, I, I don't really know. But I'm no, there's sure. still plenty, of, plenty of chapters in that story to come. Yeah, and I and I and I'd like it to be. I'd like it to be the start of something. I don't want it to be the end. I don't want to just be Clive Rossfield for the rest of my life. I really don't. Um, I want to be Clive Rossfield for the rest of my life, but I don't want to be just Clive Rossfield for the yeah. rest of my life. I want to be able to engage in this community and give back to it what it has given to me, um, and uh, in 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 all in all different forms and I can't wait to hopefully do more stuff in the future um, and I have I have exhausted myself I think um, to try and pursue that um, 
this year's been amazing, but it's been really hard. It's been yeah. really, really hard because I I understand that this moment in the sun, this moment where Clive is being celebrated as a character, where people seem to be enjoying what I did with Clive, I want to make sure that that is, is the foundation of something that means that I can continue to, to work in in this industry as long as possible because I love it. It's it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful and I I would happily just work in video games for the rest of my life. Um so yeah. No, I mean uh you know we we've referenced at the beginning of the show here the the dialogue between you and I in terms of um organizing in organizing the time for this show and and you would leave the occasional voice memo there to kind of, I think one of them, you might've been pretty well hung over on one of those occasions. If, if, if memory serves me right. But, um, hearing, hearing you talk about the place you were in, in some of these moments with, with everything that was going on. And again, so much media publicity, all those sort of things had nothing but the utmost respect for, for what you were saying. So I'm like, obviously wanted you, wanted you on the show. And you know, that, that was, that was going to be, you know, something at the forefront and I'm really looking looking forward to but had the utmost respect for the way you were approaching it and still willing to engage and and keep keep me on board for the future because as you said that's there's something more that you're that you're working towards and you've got to be able to look after yourself to give yourself every opportunity it's it's really 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 hard um and I feel like I let people down and I have let people down over the past couple of months because I have had the good fortune to meet so many amazing people and and for them to be so kind and to have and to connect with so many people on quite a deep level in a very short time and um i think a lot of people uh how do i put this like it's it's i want to give myself as much as possible to people i don't want to be that person that kind of goes shoo 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 so if i'm ever at a convention i'm going to give that person that time I'm going to give that person, if someone's waiting for me for two hours to talk to me, I'm going to give them the time to talk to them. And that doesn't just mean at a convention, that means just on a on a professional and a personal level, I want to give someone time. And when I can't, I think I'd punish myself a little bit for it. I think, oh, I've let them down. I've let them down, I've let myself down. And when we were talking about doing this podcast, it got to a point where I had nothing to say. I had nothing new to say. Um, at all about my experience because I couldn't really understand it in my head. I didn't really know what I was going through. Um, and it sounds like I'm martyring myself in this, but I really, I tied myself up in knots about it. I've had the most wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. And um, I'm continually, I'm still on this roller coaster, you know. I'm off to Los Angeles soon. We've got the Game Awards coming up. Like, there's so much more to celebrate with this game and this experience um, but I, I wasn't sure what I was going through um, and I didn't want to let people down and so I would message you being like I'm so sorry I just I, 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 I can't I can't give you my time but I really want to talk to you about this and it's really fortuitous that we're talking about it now because I think I have a little bit more perspective um, on the experience out of the heart of the storm a little bit yeah up yeah. to a point it's great it's great because the fandom is so passionate and you've seen the stupid stuff i've done online like it's been yeah it's it's amazing how it's amazing how the community responds to that sort of stuff and i and i really feel like i want to give back as much as possible to a community that's given me so much before this game ever came out and um and now as well 
because I, I think that the support actually is quite overwhelming. As my fiance's mum would say, imagine all those people in a field. It's just it's a very packed field, or it's a very big it's field. A, it'd be a big field, um, and the thought that those people are feel like they are able to engage with me in some ways is kind of overwhelming. And I want to make sure that they know that I'm shortchanging them in some way, or that I take their support for granted. Completely I understood. I feel very unworthy of that. I feel very um, like they have an idea of who I am as a person and that I I am not that. Um, and so this, because it's so new and so fast um, that I maybe don't uh, believe it. Um, yes. We're getting very deep here, aren't we? We're getting that's that's the point of this show. You're absolutely nailing it. Ben, you're just an actor. It's absolutely fine. Um, but it's been because I think I'm not just an actor in that like I am the biggest fan of no, I'm I'm a huge fan of Final Fantasy. It's and video games in general. It's it I put a huge amount it means of so much. pressure on myself. It means so much. It means so much and I want to get it right. I want to get it right for the people that care because I understand how much it would care to me. Um and um I'm trying to kind of not kind of brush it off and be like, well, this is a bit shit, this is a bit whatever. I'm trying to, yeah, do do the people justice, I think. And so you you know, probably wouldn't have known what it would have ultimately become. Obviously, Final Fantasy, very significant franchise to, to millions and millions of people, and you know, including yourself. But at that moment when you did re- learn that this project is is in fact Final Fantasy sixteen, with everything that you've you know loved about the franchise up to that point, what was that initial moment when when you realized like i mean how was that information delivered to you you know we can ignore the the code names and all those sort of things still from before but like how was that delivered to you um and how did you react uh, initially it was delivered to me in a script they sent to me oh okay um that said um the the project name and then it had um clive's character and then it had ifrit written on in the background and then it had thing crystals and things and um so it had like it was a, it was an image of Clive Clive Rossfield and then it had and it was the artwork yeah. and um of Clive the one that, I think they've released an art book of it and it's it's really cool I've got it it doesn't look like a I've got a really I've got like a really exclusive like bit of artwork there's an like old Clive as well you should um I'd, I'd hope so and um <laughs> yeah they had like in the background if we kind of in the back behind it and and then it had words like crystals and and sid so it wasn't uh, quite direct it was it was just that you had had this understanding of the franchise and recognized these key tenants it's triggered something in your brain and i thought this can't be final fantasy 16 it has to be like an offshoot of it so when i when i went into audition i asked one of the producers is this final fantasy 16 and he nodded and i that just because no one knew there'd been rumors there'd been one image been an image of a of a man standing on the edge of the precipice of a place that would become Sambrek. That that was that image was out there that Naoki Yoshida was working on a Final Fantasy game, but I and then somehow you were involved in it. That it's this giant penny yeah. drop moment. Yeah, and I was the lead in it, and uh, I still haven't that. And people go, when did it sink in? It never sank in. It still doesn't sink in now. Um, my disconnect between who that person is and who I am is very very different um uh so yeah 
weird 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 um i i i I will never understand it and um yeah you know who knows potentially potentially never um one thing i wanted to acknowledge and we spoke about before the the golden joysticks and and obviously the 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 awards are starting to come in for the game and, and for yourself and what you've accomplished um you you touched on it during the during your acceptance of um at the golden joysticks there others that are representing clive around the world in various different yeah. languages um speaking to millions and millions of other people who don't speak the languages that you and i that you and i might um i guess do, do you get to communicate with with those sort of people uh, with those other those other actors what you know or is everyone kind of do in their I, own little bubbles a little bit yeah i i know i know one of the other one i know um <clears throat> vincent fallow who plays the german voice of clive because he's also a super fan uber fan of the games and i was very fortunate to meet him in zurich recently to do like dining session together and it was just really cool just like geeking out about video games but do you have that spider-man no, moment where you're pointing at each other saying you're clive that that <laughs> photo exists if you go onto vincent's um twitter that photo i'll have exists. to go and take a look um there's a picture of us pointing to a giant picture of clive and me pointing to him it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's like he's like we got to get the picture you've got to do it right um yeah, uh so yeah i know i know vincent he's fantastic he's also a super fan and i think being clive is a is a big thing for him uh, and to represent that and to be able to represent it in his own language I think is super cool um, but I don't know the other ones personally um, my relationship with the character is entirely mine you know I, I was very lucky to do it over four years so I was I didn't have any context of anyone else's performance it was of course me. Um, so um, but I, I you I have to I have to mentioned the other people who dubbed this character because so many people have played this game and have been affected by their performances you know i'm so i'm so fortunate that people really like what i did and it's and it's great thank you please give me nice things uh tell me nice things about myself but it would be very um it would be incorrect if i didn't point out that i'm well aware that there are millions of people who have played this in other languages and have been affected by their performances and the work that they did, which is of no less value than the work that I did. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, you have to, because they're Clive. They're Clive for millions of people. Exactly. Um, what does that? You, know, you obviously mentioned that it's it was a four-year process, and there's a lot that that went on in the meantime in your personal life, to the pandemic, yeah. to a range of different things. So, what does that? that four-year period look like from not knowing what you're involved in to the realization that's final fantasy to four years of you know as you kind of described before in and out but you know significant chunks of time where clive is your your day job um it's my day job yeah it was so, my day job it yeah was so weird and um, so what what does that all look like it looks like especially um, in the midst of obviously the backdrop of the pandemic as well it is it is one of the most rewarding and humbling experiences and i mean humbling in not in the god i'm so humbled and wonderful humbling in that you feel like a crap actor um because there's a lot of work there and it's not like i suddenly walked into the booth and was just majestic every time i can't take full credit for this performance at all there is there is a team of people that are guiding you right absolutely and and it's impossible to get some perspective you feel completely lost and um 
there were times where I just was not getting it. I just did, I couldn't get it. It didn't feel right. And there were sometimes when we recorded some scenes and then looked back later in the context, we went, that's just not right. So we'd redo it. Like there, there is a, there was a, a pursuit of um, not perfection because nothing's perfect. There was a pursuit of the in something intangible, something that you can't describe, um, and something maybe um, unexpected that the team really wanted. It's it's what people say what's porn you'll know it when you see it it's like that it's the the phrase of going you know is it instagram is it porn you know it when you see it and that is it what are the performances i didn't think we'd um, go there but i'm so glad we did i'm so glad we did um <laughs> i morgan rushton and ollie chance who i again thanked in my speech uh, have been so instrumental in in supporting me and helping me figure out where Clive is and Clive is theirs as much as um, and again with um, Michael Christopher Koji Fox and John Taylor uh, who were so instrumental in Japan of, of like the work that they would do I think because of COVID they couldn't come over as much but they'd always be on um, and I'd always have like monthly check-ins with Koji about you know the progress of what's happening X, Y, and yes. Z and he was always my, my touchstone to, to Japan um, but uh, f- can I swear on this? Yes, absolutely. Fuck me, it's hard. Four years is a long fucking time to record something. And especially with the pressure that I put on myself, I really felt bad and I felt like I was letting people down. And sometimes I come back and think, you know what? I am an amazing actor. Wowee. What an astonishing performance I've given. And then other days I come back and think, I've let millions of people down. I am so sad that like I wasn't able to give what I wanted to give. And, and that roller coaster, huge, 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 huge. And also, I, I, I'd, I just wanted it to be done. I wanted it to be done. I wanted it to be out there because nothing can prepare you for fatigue. It's such stamina. It requires such stamina. People think, oh, I could do this. Like, I'm sure you could. It's, but it's a huge amount of work. And I think we worked out at Side UK where I recorded it that I am the actor who's worked the most hours on any single role they've ever done and they have recorded assassin's creeds they have recorded the witcher 3 they have recorded enormous games massive massive games and just the amount of time that was required to get clive to where he is in the game and how much of the game he actually carries um uh it's uh, a lot and uh, so yeah i I will always, I will always cherish my time with him because it felt at times like the most rewarding thing, and at times it felt like a complete crucible. And so, obviously, you were just saying there that you were kind of wishing for the game to kind of be out there. And yeah. so, when it was, now obviously we know about the the critical side and the 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 awards and the acknowledgements that are coming the game's way at the moment. But for you, as a fan of Final Fantasy, to be able to sit down and play the game finally. At whatever point that yeah. was, I presume you know, probably had the opportunity pre-release. Um, what was that finally like to to get on the sticks, to experience that story all come together in that cohesive final build? How did I feel? How did I feel about it? Uh, it's a very, very good question, and it's nice that we have some perspective. I think. I well, yeah, that's the thing. As yeah, it's it's an evolving thing as well. I think I found it quite a painful experience. I found yeah, right. it quite a painful experience. Um I it was impossible that I was ever going to enjoy my with the game. Um and um 
I loved it and I and I love the game and I'm so fucking proud of it. I'm so proud of what we did. Um I can't speak to like let's see what we did. I didn't make the game, but I'm talking about specifically what the cast of did with their uh, with their work. I was constantly in awe of the work that other people did. And when I say I found it painful, like it's difficult to kind of judge your own work. Um but I was I was blown away by the quality of the voice or the of the acting in this game of just how many amazing actors they were able to bring in and pull out just really visceral textured performances in the game and it blew me away constantly and I was so so proud I thought I'd almost block my stuff out um, yeah. and then just listen to listen to other people's stuff um I'm so I'm 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 proud I'm here I'm proud of it it's so cool it's so cool and there are bits in the game that I really like that, that I, I look back and I'm like I, quite, I think I did quite well there um there's the the scene that I like the most um which I did because I didn't think it was very good when I did it is there's a scene where famously you press L3 and R3 to accept the yes Clive has to has to have a dialogue with a younger version of himself and that is technically really hard to do and I was so nervous about it um, but the way it came out in the game I'm so so pleased with how the team managed to work that in how we managed to kind of really in such an emotional scene get I think a, a, a level of grounded reality to what is quite a, quite a fantastic a fantastical thing thing yeah and I'm super 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 proud of that um, and uh yeah, it's it's weird. I um, I don't think I'm ever gonna really enjoy a game I ever pl I'm ever in. Um, the game is fantastic. I just have to kind of like <laughs> myself, you know, like it's it's. Uh, yeah, understood. You can be too close to something sometimes, and obviously in in a lot of spaces that can really you know that can diminish your appreciation of what you've then gone on to accomplish, no matter what anyone else is saying. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think that I'm so, I'm so, so, again, I'm so, so proud of this game. I'm so, so proud to be a part of it. I will never be able to judge it by any standards other than this is, I I, I can hear, I can hear the um, the things I went through in that time. It was such a tumultuous time in my life. Um, and um, so that's when I talk about it being quite painful at times. Um, and I look forward to playing other games, you know, that hopefully I'm in in the future. Um, yeah. That... And, and that'll be great and I will have different experiences with them but um, yeah it's it's a, it's a weird thing that I'm still processing as we go I think and you layer on top of that it's Final Fantasy and that adds a whole other variable to the mix for someone yeah. who is a long time decades old fan yeah. of the franchise yeah there was some cool moments like there's there's a moment where like Clive is saying a speech on top of the uh, the overture no not the overture the, the prelude music um and it's just, I was like, oh, that's cool. I've got my voice over the top. That's me. Where, where he goes, we are imperfect creatures. Um, when we stumble, we look for a shoulder to lean on. When we fall, we stand back up. And we see the horizon forever out of reach, and still we march on, because that is our way. And I love that. That's and incredible. Quite. The top, and I'm just like, oh, I love the quote. I love the music. I love that that's what, for me, the game is. It's... The, the, we are imperfect creatures is such a beautiful, beautiful summation of humanity, and I think that was what um, the team wanted to explore at all points: is like how can we explore some of the grossest, darkest aspects of 
humanity in our head and emotionally and it's um i think in many aspects we succeeded at that so one final final one final final fantasy 16 related question here before we before we move on a little bit one that i expect you won't really be able to comment on but i'll ask the question anyway mm-hmm. um naoki yoshida recently spoke about some expansion content for the game yeah again putting the disclaimer out there i'm sure you can't say anything at all Mm -hmm. but uh is there anything that you can say at all (laughs) at this point what do you what do you what do you want to see from it i'll ask you what do you want oh okay i i asked the question not knowing what i'd want myself so i've put i've put myself in it here um absolutely fine I mean, we, we've obviously touched on this emotional resonance over over multiple Final Fantasy games, and even what you've just discussed there with with Final Fantasy sixteen as well. And I think I'm looking, regardless of what the subject matter ends up being, what this content yes. is, I want that expansion content to do what what we've just described there, and what we've described from Final Fantasy eight, and what we've discussed from Final Fantasy nine that if I'm emotionally impacted one way or the other, mm-hmm. I'm not too fussed as to what the actual subject matter ends up being. I want to be, I want something to be, prov- be provoked within me. Yeah. And if it ends up being an expansion to an individual character's story, Clive's or someone else, um, if that ends up being something completely detached altogether and it's one of those, in the meantime, some you know sort of parallel narratives, yeah. I'm fine with that too if it's, if it's doing what, I've always associated Final Fantasy game as doing, which is provoking something emotionally from me. Yeah, I, well, and asking I, big I, questions. I, I hope, I hope that you you get what you your wish. Um, I can't. No, I know. <laughs> no, what, I appreciate. I appreciate the question. I get asked it a lot, and I think it's great that people are even asking. They want it. Um, and I will say that, like the the game doesn't need the expansion. The expansion just came about because uh, people wanted it. Yeah. So. Um, you know that's that's what I think uh, CBU three is so good at is responding to fans, and you know that's the reason why Final Fantasy Final Fantasy Final Fantasy fourteen is so successful. Of course, because they are able to um, adapt and 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 give fans what they want. So I hope that you know whatever happens with the the nebulous DLC that whatever this out, is, whatever it is that um, people people get something out of it whether it's what they wanted or whether it's something they didn't know they want um i hope that they have a good time um and i'm sure i'm sure they will so uh, we'll look forward to that whenever whenever that time ma- might arise i will not press i will not press any further uh because well, this can show press, is you can, you can press all you want you can press all you want i just will give you that exact same answer no nope, and i totally appreciate it. And this show is not designed to be uh breaking exclusives and revealing any news so yeah I'll absolutely respect that. Um, now, you touched on before that obviously there's been lots of fun and games and kind of silly stuff that's come from from this and in terms of, you know, some of that engagement with the community. And uh, I guess what have been some of those most enjoyable things for you? I, I think about a certain Mario audition, for example, um, as something yeah. that really, really stuck out. But there's been a lot of kind of fun and games that you've been able to engage with the community on since. Um, what have you derived the most joy from in this, in this post-Final Fantasy 16 launch period where you've been able to kind of lean into that a little bit more? Oh, I I have done all the things you probably shouldn't do as a voice actor. I you should not do any of the things that I've done. It's a stupid thing to do. You're placing yourself in a position of ridicule. Um, uh, 
the arrogance to think that I could audition for Mario. <laughs> um, it's been so fun. It's been so fun uh, because I w- I'm a very uh, creatively silly person. As a kid, I would always make like stupid like, videos, and I've I feel that like professionally, I haven't had the opportunity or, or just the I just couldn't be bothered. Yeah, couldn't be bothered half the time as a professional actor, and then suddenly Clive came along, and I had an audience who were responding to it, and and I started doing it. It wasn't until I did the video, which was the I asked for one ticket to Barbie, um, which really, which really, really blew up. Like it blew up in a mad, mad way, and I, I think people just went, "Oh my god, this is so silly," and then I thought, "Oh, I'm going to lean a little bit more." In- uh, an incorrect Final Fantasy quote and people appreciated <laughs> that I was maybe a little bit more of a clown than my performance as Clive would let on and they loved seeing that character in in a particular way and I kind of pushed the boundaries more and more and more and more and more and this playing with people and the Mario thing was madness absolute <laughs> madness I walked around PAX West being recognised as the guy who did the Mario video Oh really? More than more than Clive at that point. I would say I would say rivaling Clive. Doing those videos, those videos of doing Mario and Starfield and and or like those those silly things have probably done more to um, make me uh, well known in industry circles anyway than anything I ever did with Clive. Um, That's fascinating. Shows you, shows you the power of social media. Absolutely. Final Final Fantasy 16 is exclusively on PlayStation 5, and not everyone has a PlayStation 5. But the work that I'm doing, whether it's about you know pretending to be the the cube in Spider Man, like it's oh it, I people, forgot oh, I forgot the cube. People appreciate <laughs> people appreciate the memes. They appreciate the memes, and they appreciate that I'm willing to engage with them. Um, it's just me being an idiot, me being a complete idiot, and it shows people that I have an appreciation and understanding. Um, there was a stupid video that my friend Morgan really liked the most where I, I asked to it was a video which was I would also like to buy Nintendo please and it's just a video of me asking to buy Nintendo because I wanted to look cool and it was so stupid but again people watched it and liked it and shared it Um, it's fun you know a one minute one minute twenty video to put into the internet give people a little bit of joy and, and it's get on with their day. it's one of those things that Obviously, you know, what we're discussing here was, you know, social media banter and those sorts of things. But in so many professions, that ability to kind of let the guard down, let the humanity come out and have a bit of fun and engage. It's such a humanizing component and really connects people at times. We, we're, you know, in, in so many workplaces, it's so serious all the time. Yeah. And to be able to break that down and just have a break and come up for air and, and for also those who consume it to come up for air is... It's invaluable. It is, and also it's humanizing. They they want to see that their their character their characters um, have a human face behind them, and that was something I really wanted to do. I wanted the people to be able to know what I look like. I really wanted people to know that this is this is me. They can come up to me, and I can be a person that they can look to. I I I made a conscious effort to do that because I didn't just want to be the person they go, "Who are you?" Or oh, you're that voice of the, that actor that you know did a performance and they put someone else's face on top of yours I want people to know who I am um, yes because I'm a narcissist um, because <laughs> I wanted to um, 
have a career. I wanted to have a career and I wanted to celebrate, you know, this industry, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I put myself out there and it was a nerve wracking thing to do because if you put yourself out there, you put yourself out for ridicule and you put yourself out there for people kind of basically wanting to say nasty things about you or, or whatever, which, which happens. You yeah. Know, a lot, I think a lot of people, as, as many people are going to like me as they are dislike me and that's, um, but it's been it's been an experiment. I've been playing a lot, and uh, for the most part, it has been a really really fun fun time. It's working. Um, yeah, it's work. It is working. It is working. And it, what this wasn't some grand plan. It was very. That's not like, a scheme. Did, did you like this? Okay, then I'll do this, and then I'll do this, and then I'll do this, and you know, every time you put a bit of, <laughs> it's not art, but you put a bit of something out into the internet, we're going to get, or won't get something back. Um, so you know you're 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 putting yourself out there for ridicule, and, and I put myself up for ridicule a lot. And it's it's well well received by so many. Um, it's it's always good for a laugh. Um, another core pillar of what you're doing, especially more recently, Natural Six. So how did yes. how did this D and D endeavor come about? Because I guess for anyone who's maybe unaware, uh, we I mean this is a video game show typically, and um, but this is a this is a D and D venture. It went to Kickstarter recently. Um, Nine hundred plus supporters there. Sixty seven thousand pounds support. Well, north of sixty seven. Like it's it's been really really successful. But how did it come about in the first place? Um, uh, how did it come about? I'm just gonna cough for one second, please. <coughs> How did it come about? Good question. In fact, I've made it worse. I'm going to have a drink of water. Please. We'll keep all of this in there. It'll, it'll work as a treat. It's behind, behind the scenes. Keep the content in, everyone. Give the people what they want. <laughs> Ben's so humid. Wow. Look at him drinking that water. Yeah, God, sound that off. I'll, I'll, I'll drink it. The ASMR stuff. I'm inspired get, get now. Get your head. Uh, you do it. <laughs> How did Natural Six come about? It came about because... Um, uh, Alex Jordan uh, is a voice actor. He plays Mr. Hands in um, Cyberpunk. He came up to me in the foyer of Side UK and said he'd read somewhere that I wanted to play some D and D. He went, "Do you want to play some D and D?" I went, "Yeah, let's do it." Like really casually. And he went, "I think Doug wants to do it." Doug Cockle. Doug Cockle. Do you want to play some D and D, Doug? And I was like, "Yeah, sure." Um, and that was it. And then we sat down and went, "We should, um, we should obviously get some more people who want to play it casually." And I. Uh, had I knew Holly Bennett and Aoife and I was like well, they'd be great to play with and like Aoife's such a massive D&D fan so let's just let's do that and then we also said oh we need a DM and I'd recently uh, been talking to um, Ellen and Mike from um, Oxventure outside Xbox outside Extra sorry and they were saying how much Harry McIntyre was just this amazing kind of D&D savant um, so I messaged Harry and I was like, "Do you want to? Do you want to? Hi, I'm Ben. Do you want to go and play some D and D?" And it was all just super casual. Like we're just all going to get together and just, you know, have a, have a bit of a laugh. Um, and also, and all of a sudden, to, yeah, with an opportunity to make friends. To be honest, I just wanted to be like hang out with some people that really were like minded and wanted to play and have some fun, and kind of semi knew what they were doing. And then, yeah, we all went for drinks and went, so when are we going to play our first session? Harry turns out with like four, eight, four sheets of paper, the most in-depth world building. And uh, we drank uh, five bottles of rosé, four or five bottles in front of people. <laughs> uh, 
and uh, then we, we all put our hands in said let's jump off a cliff together and then it happened and um, it's been a hell of an experience and we've said this on multiple occasions we there isn't we have no right to have as much chemistry as we do um, but it just works we, it works and it's the most fun and I feel so pleased and it's so rewarding oh my god it's so amazing it didn't exist four months five months ago and now it does and that's because everyone has put their heart and soul into it and come up with their characters and Harry's created Reliquia which is this amazing world and we've come up we've got Alex Mukala the amazing composer yep. composed our theme music we have all of these people who've come together to support this this endeavor and add their little their little bit of something and create some pretty awesome alchemy um and it's um i can't wait to see what we do with it it's such early days this, yeah it's still really thing. foundational stuff and it, you know can pivot in so many different directions and it's gonna be really fascinating to 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 see how it all plays out again i mean there's a there's a growing community there already and uh I guess really, really yeah. keen for more. So hopefully it all it all comes together in in ways that both yeah. you imagined and in ways that you didn't because of that kind of evolving nature that it is. Yeah, pretty mad. Can't wait. So we're about to wind things down. And so I'll take a moment to, to very quickly acknowledge the patrons of Dev Diary. And so it's at this point in the show that I want to make sure that I shout out all of the amazing patrons at the show shout out tier on patreon.com slash Podcast. Those people are supporting at the top tier in the show, get some this shout out, and I'm eternally thankful because you are helping fuel the fire that is Dev Diary now and into the future. And so, with this newest episode, I want to shout out Scott Makes Games and my mum, Julie James. Thank you very much for supporting this show, and let's get back to it. Alright, back to, to wrapping this show up. Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on board. Um, a couple of final questions. Is there anyone that you've been able to work with, alongside, look at from afar, that's really inspired you in the way you go about your work? And obviously, you've, you've been across so many different forms of media at this point. Yeah. That I'm sure you've is. crossed paths with so many incredible people. Is there anyone that really sticks out? And I hate to you know ask you to kind of <laughs> single out individuals because I'm sure there's so many great people along the way, but is there something that really sticks out at all? Yeah, there's a person who I kind of see as not just like a personal mentor, but kind of a friend. Is an actor called Jason Fleming. Um, is very famous for being in Lockstock and Snatch, and he's got an incredible body of work. He plays like Brad Pitt's dad in Benjamin Button. He's you know works a lot with David Fincher. He's the most amazing man and the most amazing example of a person who is nice is nice and a good actor and everyone likes Jason Fleming everyone likes Jason Fleming because he is unapologetic in his pursuit of being a decent person and turning up, doing the job and just being amazing I'm inspired by him constantly he was so lovely and let me live at his house when I was moving house myself and he is a person who professionally is amazing and he's a model, he's an absolute model of a, of a human being and um, he's so amazing to see him I don't think there's a single person in the industry that dislikes Jason um, he is so so loved and um, is an example of how you can have a successful career by being a brilliant actor and a decent person you don't have to be a dickhead and I really really use that going forward I'm like, I just want to 
not be a dickhead. Um, and if I can, I can help people in a small way. Yeah, I'll I'll do that for you absolutely, and not exhaust yourself. But um, yeah, so that that's it. Also, he's just fascinating to watch professionally. That man, if there is a prop on, <laughs> if there is a prop, he will use it. Um, so that's he's Good. always playful, always playful, always inquisitive. An amazing man. I couldn't speak more highly of him. Um, and uh, yeah, I love him. No, that's that's fantastic. Uh, have there been any particularly valuable lessons or experience along the way? Things that have that have really guided you professionally, but also you know sometimes unprofessionally. <laughs> um, I've learned a lot of lessons. Um, I would there was a, there was a bit of advice that I was. People talk about like, uh, is it luck or is it talent? Um, and I think um, uh, it's well, it's like basically the harder you work, the luckier you get. Is what you I make your saying. own luck. You make your own luck. Um, always be prepared. And I, I spoke about it at the beginning. Failure. Failure is not. You are going to fail time, but failure doesn't have to be a nihilistic descent into nothingness. Failure can be small things that are roadblocks that you're just going to face again and again and again. You have to ask yourself constantly, are you willing to potentially take the next failure? Because some of my greatest successes have come out of my worst failures. Um, and that will continue to happen. And it has happened over the past couple of months as well and in the next couple of years. But I'm go if I want to have the highs that I've had recently that have, have just reaffirmed, reaffirmed why it's great to be alive uh then i could i could not have done that without the failures accepting and embracing those failures and embracing them allowing them to exist not thinking oh they didn't happen looking them dead in the face and going great cool okay now move on what can i learn from this yeah what can i learn from this and also just don't don't it, it's my my failures i still wear but not in a negative way i i, I kind of wear them proudly oh yeah I, if i hadn't have had if this if this bad thing hadn't happened to me these other good things wouldn't have happened to me and that's okay and it's often one of those things that really only in retrospect can people come to that conclusion that understanding and mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's, yeah. there's the thing in final fantasy 16 about like the dawn always comes the dawn always comes and you have to ask yourself the question as to whether you want to look upon the dawn in the same way um but yeah it's it's not always bad. Some lighter ones now as we wrap things up. If you could be credited for any game, be a part of any title, what game would you have just loved to have been a part of? Or Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear Solid, just absolutely. Um, also, well, we did I mean, we did discuss that. kind of the importance of some of the voices in that back. Yeah, I've also documented yeah, that I would love to if they ever. I mean, this is this is. I will come under so much criticism. Um, for this, I've said this before, but if they ever remake Soul Reaver, I would love, I would love to have a crack at either playing Raziel or at least being a part of the Soul Reaver franchise. I think that, um, it's, yeah, it's, um, I would love to, I'd love to do that. Um, I'd love got to my full support on that one. Um, I, what's been great is there are people who've come out of the woodwork being like, God, I'd, I, I'd support you if you remade Soul Reaver. Um, I'd love to be a part of the, you know, that universe would be would be really cool. I think there is so much to explore in the Legacy of Kane franchise that hasn't been explored. New characters, like if you're making a new game in the Legacy, 
please i would love to be in it so i mean let's let's hope that we're getting more legacy UK in the first place but then beyond that let's let's of course hope that uh you can be a part of that conversely if you could go and strike any game from your memory and i'm curious to see where your answer goes considering everything we've discussed in this memory if you could strike any game from your memory and get to experience it all over again completely pure what game would you love to have that experience all over again with oh what a good question what a good question um (laughs) the witness um the witness i have the most bizarre relationship with the witness please let's explain it let's discuss it i i love it and hate it in equal measure it's a game (laughs) that i've had i'm the most profoundly profoundly proud to have got the platinum trophy on but i think my experience of the witness is it's uh i didn't want to say final fantasy because that's the obvious answer I think uh, the wit- I don't know if you've played it. Jonathan Blow on a, on an island, you do basically it's brutal one thing. It's brutal, but I I I that feeling I've never felt euphoria like it with getting the platinum trophy on, on the witness because it's a pre- the final challenge to get that trophy is a procedurally generated challenge in which uh, the puzzles change all the time. You just have to understand the way the puzzle needs to be solved and you do it to a timer but you don't know what the timer is it's just music playing and getting faster and faster and faster that culminates in the hall of the mountain king it is brutal um and i when i got the platinum on that i then went to greenwich observatory pissed with my friend we drank two bottles of wine out of a carrier bag and just sat there and went this is life (laughs) Um, so uh, yeah that that i I didn't know what was required to get that that final key trophy for the witness. I was already broken by that game, so that idea terrifies me. Yeah, it's, it's but congratulations on achieving it. Thank you so much. I'm a really talented gamer, uh, gamer with a capital G. Thanks. Yep. We you know can speak authoritatively on what games are worth nines, tens, or swimming swimming sevens. We've discussed all this, and uh, if you want any decisive verdict on any game for the rest of the year Ben's your man come to me oh yeah absolutely god I've played because I've played all games every single one of them can I give a quick game recommendation please Cocoon see if you can play one game oh yes five or six hours Cocoon is um, it got me back into games this year I I, I was a bit, little bit burnt out but Cocoon was just an absolute wonder why pleasure from front to finish pardon wonder why what, that was burnt was yeah burnt the burnout <laughs> yeah just a lot. <laughs> it's like sometimes, sometimes we all need a bit of a detox and, and a come up for oxygen. So, completely understand. But yeah, Cocoon is a fantastic title and absolutely must be played. So, um, yeah, worthwhile. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing this journey so far. Um, congratulations on everything that you've achieved with Final Fantasy 16 this year and whatever is to come with that game in the future. But also, good luck with all future endeavors. Uh, we, you know, you've spoken about before that you don't want to just be Clive, and I'm sure you have positioned yourself incredibly well to become more than just Clive. Um, but you, thank you for you know what, what you have created this year. It'll be great. It'll be great. You know, in like a year's time or thing, or two years' time, whenever it is, I'll come back on and we can talk about what's happened and we can kind of do it. It'll be amazing. Like I'd love to do it. Where I'm at, where I'm at, and, and what's happened because you know, I'm sure there's hopefully there's lots of cool, fun stuff to come, but. Um, it's, uh, I feel like this has been quite therapeutic for me. I've been kind of, at times, brutally honest. 
Um, so it's been it's been really lovely. I think it's you got me at the time of day. Those who can't see me visually, I'm basically in my pajamas. So it's a, all that all that's missing is kind of like a glass of wine and then a chat with the girlies. You know, it's a bit like <laughs> just like spilling the tea. Um, so so the next episode, we need a few wines a piece and and just go for it, right? A lovely a lovely glass of Pinot, uh, and then uh, we'll just. Yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> I can't say I'm the greatest wine drink in the world, but I think I can embrace it for, for that episode. You can, so. you can have a beer, you can have a cocktail, whatever you want. Shots, tequila, what's your what's your poison? <laughs> um, I'm mostly a beer person, but I'll occasionally dabble in a few different shots as well. I, it's just it's time and place. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not going to tell you how to drink your alcohol. You can have whatever you want in it. Pick your poison, right? Very large, yeah, I'm going to have a large glass of Pinot Grigio. Um, has to be chilled. Warm wine is the worst. That that much I absolutely, absolutely know and agree with. Yeah, great. I'm so glad we should have this podcast now, but I'm just talking about wine. You edit this out. Uh, we'll see. Um, okay, well, Ben, if, if people want to tune into all of your all of your goings on, see what uh, crazy hijinks you're up to on the internet, where should people go? Um, so I'm pretty consistent with my handles. It's the T-H-E underscore Ben underscore star and the reason the underscores are in there is because there is a chef called the Ben star um, and other people who take Ben star so I it, I didn't go or I, I don't need to explain myself but there but is I a, can chef, a very successful very successful chef American chef um, who um, does a fantastic sourdough starter called the Ben star um, but yeah it's either me or him I don't bake he does um, so if you want all your baking needs, go to The Ben Star. If you want all of your everything else. Your Mario auditions, Spider Mario Cube auditions. There you go. You got it. The underscore Ben underscore star. Well, as I said, Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. Look forward to uh, joining you in a virtual virtual couple wines in the, in the future and, and discussing whatever is to come next. But in the meantime, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing this journey so far. I'm really, really appreciative and, uh, for, of you sharing your time with myself and listeners today. Have a great day. And listeners, as always, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, that's been Ben's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.